Is this thing on? Oh, welcome to Life and Laughs Podcast. Say hello again to your favorite hosts, a man that has dated a cowboy cheerleader, a Razorback cheerleader, and a reality TV star, and is still single, and a man that got suspended from Facebook for impersonating himself. Here they are. Johnny and Elias! Welcome back to another exciting and fun episode of the Life and Laughs Podcast. We continue the Elvis series today, sponsored by John Daly's EP Boulevard Pawn Shop, specializing in all kinds of Elvis Presley memorabilia. That's EPBLVDPawnshop.com and Marlowe's Ribs and Restaurant, one mile from Graceland, where all the King's friends go to eat. And now, my co-host on the West Coast, Elias Israel. What's going on, my friend? Uh, West side. We're staying dry on the West side, buddy. We are not here. Just got through the remnants of the Hurricane Laura. Man, a lot of rain. We're in Arkansas, of course. So, (laughs) Hey, guess where I fly into tomorrow? Oh, no. Louisiana. Louisiana. (laughs) You may want to check those flights. (laughs) I wanted to time it out with a hurricane. Hey, speaking of you flying, you were just in town here, uh, not my town, but in Arkansas, in Benton. Yeah. You did a show and allowed me to take part in the show. Yeah. Tell us about that, man. We had a lot of fun, saw some old faces, and uh, came out COVID-free, so that's all. You ain't got to call them old, man. It's not, <laughs> I mean. Man, man. you ever get on Facebook now, and you're like, uh, you, you see someone, you're like, oh, yeah, I remember them. Boy, they look old. And then you realize that's exactly what they're saying about us, you know what I'm saying, like, I, yes. I think to myself, oh no, because like, I see I see what's left over of the old person inside their <laughs> face. And I'm like, yeah, I can see him in there, and then, <laughs> and then I realize I look at myself in the mirror, like I can't see me in there anymore. <laughs> You know what I like? The first thing that everyone always says to me when they see me, they pat me on the stomach. And they're like, man, I'm glad to see you finally gained some weight. Man, the very first thing, always. It's the first thing. I'm like, thanks, man. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate yeah. you. They but always pull my hair. They, they always ask if they can pull my hair. Is, is that real? Is it real? Is it real? <laughs> Oh, man. Oh, speaking of that, we have to talk about this a little bit because during your comedy night, we played a game, Centerpoint Church there in Benton, and as part of the prize, in order to get our friend Matthew Berryman to do what he does in his car, according to his friends, at the top of his lungs, which is sing a song called Fergalicious by Fergie, yep. which he did yes. for the complete audience there, uh-huh. we told him that we would give him a shout-out on the show today so matthew berryman just keep on singing my friend keep on singing man fergalicious I love it. We had such a great time there. Hey, also, we had a chance to appear as guests with our friends at NATV Podcast. That was a great time. Thanks uh, to those guys. And again, you can see these podcasts. They're on our social media. We've got the links there. Hey, also, big news for me last week, something that I have always wanted and finally was able to get a real, authentic autograph by Elvis 
Presley. Yes, how cool is that? So I wanted to read some background about it real quick. Yeah. I've got the letter from the person that owned it. It says, I was eight years old with a mother, father in the U.S. Army and one young sister. While stationed in Huntsville, Alabama, my father received orders to go to Bad Kresnach in Germany as dependents. My mother, my sister, and I followed him to Germany three months later. In September 1958, I took the train to New York City from Omaha, Nebraska. We were met by an Army soldier who escorted us to the ship. The USS General Randall, the General George M. Randall, was the ship that carried then-Private Elvis Presley to his first assignment in Germany. We boarded the ship, and we were waiting on the deck to get underway. During that time, the troops were coming across the gangplank with their duffel bags on their shoulders. Someone yelled, there's Elvis Presley, and all the women started screaming. He smiled and waved. Now, on September 22, 1958, the USS General Randall left port and took seven days to get to Rammerhaven, Germany. During that time, they held a variety show on the ship, and Elvis performed as a piano player. Children were not allowed to attend the variety show, but my mother went, and she was able to get Elvis's autograph on the postcard on the ship. My mother gave me the autographed postcard when I was 21, and it has remained in my sole possession since that time. And she signed this in December 2019. That's Janice M. Morrison. And we'll put pictures up also on the social media links. Now, Elias, a few weeks ago, I'm not sure how long ago, we had a chance to be guests on a very popular Elvis-related podcast called mm-hmm. The Jungle Room. Elvis-inspired yes. podcast. Yes, they do other things as well. But we'll let her tell you about that because all the way up in Alaska right now, we have from The Jungle Room podcast our good yep. friend, Jamie Kay. Welcome Woo-hoo! to Life Class Podcast. Hey guys, thank you for having me. Yes, well, yeah, tell us a little bit much. for those that that don't know about your show. Tell us about the Jungle Room Podcast. The Jungle Room Podcast is an Elvis-inspired podcast. We do talk a lot about Elvis Presley, but we have started to talk about other musicians like Johnny Cash, Patsy Cline. Uh, we have so many great topics that we're going to be covering in the next few months. We're even going to do a show on Selena. Oh, so nice. I'm very excited about the way the show is going and the format. We've been doing this for two and a half years, and I feel like this is the year where we've finally found our group. Very popular. Jamie is well-known throughout the Elvis community, and the podcast is very popular. Make sure you guys go check out their podcast. Now, how did you personally become a fan of Elvis Presley? Well, I grew up on Elvis. My mom was a huge Elvis fan, so I don't remember a time in which Elvis wasn't part of my life. The first Elvis book I read was Elvis and Me by Priscilla Presley. And from that book really got me on this whole obsession thing regarding Elvis. I had to know everything about him. And I won't lie to you, I was more curious about his relationships. And so <laughs> it seemed like in my research, it was always about his ladies. You know, I grew up on his movies, his music. And so it just, I can't remember an exact time that I wasn't an Elvis fan. It just, he's always been. Do you sing Elvis songs in the shower, in the car? Are you that kind that you're always singing? I sing all the time. 
a lot of people don't know that about me. I love to sing. However, people have asked me not to. <laughs> <laughs> well, we definitely wouldn't. We want to hear you sing right now, I think, don't we, Elias? Yep, yep. No, the Internet's forever. I know better. <laughs> <laughs> wise, wise choice. We are going to get into the show. And in honor of Jamie, who said she was a big fan of this, we heard on your podcast as we were being interviewed that you liked... Top 10 things that Elvis would say if he came back today. Kind of like that. Uh, remember uh, a few years back, there was that What Would Jesus Do, that WWJD, you, you know, that kind of yeah. thing. This is kind of like uh, kind of that same theme going on, but with Elvis. What would he say if he were alive today? <laughs> okay. Well, since he is a guest on our show, Jamie, do you want to take number 10? I will. Number 10. So, what's Anne Margaret up to these days? <laughs> <laughs> I can see Elvis totally tracking down Anne Margaret. Yeah. <laughs> I can totally see that happening. <laughs> the lives, the exciting lives they've lived, they know it to each other's experience, and I think that would be a perfect match for them in their elderly years. We love Anne Margaret, by the way. Yes, yeah, so do I. And she's still beautiful. I love her personality, too. She's so cool, very respectful. Yes. <laughs> All right, number nine on our list. Again, these are the top ten things Elvis would say if he came back today. Number nine, here's a scarf, here's a COVID test, and here's a kiss 14 days later after quarantine, that is, because he was known for saying that in concert. There's a sound, uh, one of his 70s concert, he says, here's a scarf, here's a towel, and then he said, here's a kiss. <laughs> so there would be a 14-day, how would that work with all the girls that he kissed in concert like that? I think... I have a I have a, a thought. I think that Elvis would just go in for the kiss. He would aim to get COVID and knock it out quick, you know, so that way he could get, carry on with his kissing lifestyle. <laughs> well, although I think people are saying you can actually get it twice. Some people have had it, got rid of it, they thought, and turned around and got it again. Really? I haven't heard yeah. that. Well, that's it's very rare, but it has happened. So the overachievers. Yeah. Yeah. Number eight. Someone paid how much for a strand of my hair? <laughs> <laughs> hey, by the way, I did find out how much, because we were talking about that. I wonder how much they paid for it. And it was the haircut that he got when he was in Fort Smith, Arkansas. The guy sold it, the barber there. It was a whole clump of hair, though. It wasn't the little strands like they're selling online now. But for $18,300, someone bought a clump of Elvis's hair. $18,300. Now, if Jay Jamie, have you seen this on eBay? They are selling strands of Elvis's hair. I mean, it's a little, I mean, not even an inch, a little tiny How one they, strand. How do they know it's actually Elvis's hair? Like, where is the evidence that it's right. not Elvis's hair? Or Elvis? yeah. isn't, isn't hair, like, literally evidence? Like, isn't that DNA? Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, you could have Elvis's DNA. Maybe they're hanging on to it so that eventually in the future, they're going to be able to clone people off of DNA. How cool would that be to bring Elvis back? a clone of Elvis from the DNA from a strand of this hair that they sell on eBay for $9.99. Yeah, but you know it's not going to be just one Elvis. It's going to be an army, a multitude of yeah. Elvises that they <laughs> clone. You know, it's going to be like... It's not going to be as great of a, of a man. They're going to be something wrong with them, and they're going to be right. like robots, and then they kill us all. That, the yeah, robot yeah. Elvis kills Americans. Like, it's it crazy <laughs> six-finger Elvis. <laughs> And, and then and then he can't sing either. I guess not, right. not <laughs> Why are Elvis's eyes so far apart in this one? <laughs> 
Why is his nose on his knee? <laughs> Elvis looks like a Picasso. I think Jamie's right. up with number seven. All right. How is old Bill Cosby doing? Because <laughs> oh. <laughs> you know Bill. Because <laughs> we didn't want it. Bill Cosby, you know, he actually played at the International Hotel when Elvis was there. I think it switched to the Hilton also. Maybe been the Hilton that he performed, but I'm not sure. But you've probably heard in his 70s concerts introducing Bill Cosby and talking about him, doing an impersonation of him, like Fat Albert, I think. It, <laughs> I think he did the hey, 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 you know, impersonation, which is pretty cool to hear Elvis do that. <laughs> Cause he was always backstage me. making drinks, man, just fixed. Fixing <laughs> 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 them up. <laughs> too soon? Is it too soon? Are we protecting him? What's going on? Why am I hesitant to say that? Oh, all right, here's number six. Again, we're doing the list. These are the top ten things Elvis would say if he came back today. At number six, you meet girls on the what? What's what's an intra intranet? <laughs> you know, because we just heard stories about how he would invite girls into the house and watch them on camera to see how they acted and reacted to see if he liked them enough to actually go out on a date with them. Well, he used those cameras for more than just watching their demeanor. Ooh, <laughs> heavy, some heavy accusations being thrown around here. So close to a Bill Cosby comment. But you know what? If if they invited Jamie into Graceland, she would have been there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> For the free drinks. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. Number five. I'm going to do an Elvis impression on this one. Who left this sequence glove in my bedroom? <laughs> Because, because remember Michael Jackson got involved in the Elvis family for us for a minute there. Yes, and the rumor is that he did go into Elvis's bedroom with Lisa Marie, and apparently he could have, you know, he could have hypothetically dropped his sequenced glove in Elvis's bedroom, and Elvis could have found it if he came back today. (laughs) (laughs) I think. I picture Elvis putting on that glove like OJ putting on that glove on the the trial. (laughs) He can't. He can't. Hey, I think. Right. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) All right. Next on our list is it? Whose turn is it, Jamie? (laughs) I love it. I love it. You're so messed up. (laughs) Number four, Bruce Jenner is a what now? Ladies and gentlemen, we just want to apologize to our listeners for what Jamie just said. We, we, we Life and laughs does not condone this behavior. That. We didn't know that was coming. Jamie. <laughs> you guys are so nice. You know, that reminds funny, me of this. Though. It's funny. That and- reminds me of the story that Linda Thompson tells in her book about how her and Elvis were laying in bed watching Bruce Jenner on TV during the Olympics. And because he was this big triathlon, just did it all, you know, this, you know, like a Greek god looking guy. And Elvis commented on what a good looking guy that he was. And Linda told Elvis that she was going to marry that guy one day. And Elvis said, over my dead body. Oh, wow. How scary. <laughs> <laughs> I am not saying anything around Linda Thompson if I ever get a chance no. to meet her. <laughs> 
Well, she wrote That's, about it in her book, so it's not a secret. It's yeah, it's true. It's true. By the way, we all love Linda Thompson. We do. Yes, everybody in the Elvis world loves Linda Thompson. Yeah, talk about a go-getter. She she literally married Bruce Jenner. Yes, and David Foster. Yeah, she is very sought after. She is a very well put together person, intellectually, still physically in great shape for her young age. We'll we'll say that in case Linda's listening. <laughs> Love yes, Linda no, Thompson. That's not. She, is. she really what? is. She's still very yeah. thin and great hair. Beautiful smile. She's she's another one that's aged very well. Okay, number three on the list. I made how much money last year? Oh, <laughs> I think Elvis would be shocked to find out how much money he is making in death, especially after those final years of not making as much as he was accustomed to. Yeah, he, he would definitely be shocked. I mean, isn't it like he's worth more dead than he was alive? He still, I think, on last year's Forbes list, was the fourth highest paid dead celebrity. And I found that hard to believe that he's at number four. I right. mean, who is making more money than, you know, maybe Michael Jackson? I don't know who else would be making more money. Prince? I just saw that he was number four. Yeah, Prince, Michael Jackson, I could see those two. Yeah, yeah, because they were more recent. So, yeah, that would make sense. Yeah, next on our list. Okay, so number two is this. I need me some Marlowe's. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Elvis loves some Marlowe's. And in fact, if you go to Marlowe's, you can sit in the Elvis booth. It's still there. You can feel like the king while you eat. And they have Elvis themed dishes on their menu. Nice. Love Marlowe's. Best ribs. You got to get their ribs. You got to try the uh, beef brisket. Oh, man, so good. Their bar- And their portions are really huge compared to other barbecue places that you may go to in Memphis. Such a great value. And Missy Coleman there. Love those folks. They are so part. They're going to make you feel like part of the family. You're going to oh, love the entire family. Yeah. Yes. They also sponsor some of the greatest podcasts ever known to mankind. <laughs> they don't sponsor the Jungle Room. <laughs> well... <laughs> We're going to connect the dots. We'll, we'll figure it out. <laughs> All right. Who is, whose turn is it for number one? It is mine. I love this one. This one has to be my favorite. Johnny took what from Graceland? See? See? <laughs> it would be more like Johnny who? <laughs> yeah. Johnny who took what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Johnny Cash did what? Johnny Cash, yeah. <laughs> And of course, that's on there because these two give me a hard time about the little strand of shag green carpet from the jungle room that I have by accident. By accident. <laughs> you kept it in your pocket because you didn't want them to think that you were stealing. So you went ahead and stole it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think you could walk into a like a national treasure museum and just take a sliver of the you know like the independence? <laughs> like, but it fell on. off. It fell off. Now, if if a little piece of paper on the corner fell off like that, what would you do with it? Yeah, I wouldn't take it. I'd just turn it in to the manager. Yeah. We, we yeah. would do the right thing, Johnny. Yes. <laughs> By the way, I don't know if you can see this here, Jamie. He's I had to show you. Brick. This the is brick. my the yes. brick from the Hillcrest home. I had to I show you that. I, actually, I'm not the one that did it, but I didn't want to call out my son. My son is the one who did it for yeah, me. He just did. <laughs> I didn't want right. to call him out. I can't imagine it was his own idea. I have yeah. a feeling, just like Jamie's podcast is inspired by Elvis, that thought was inspired by you. 
He did it for his dad, and so I'm very appreciative. That was very thoughtful of him because they were just going to throw it away. I can see on that. A life of crime. Right, yeah, yeah. Hey, it's the family business, huh? (laughs) I'm doing this for my dad over here. (laughs) Son, I'm proud of you. Hey, Jamie, tell everybody where they can find out about your podcast and your YouTube channel. So you can find our podcast on jungleroompodcast.com. You can listen to our show on any podcast platform. Our YouTube channel is The Jungle Room, and that is youtube.com slash The Jungle Room. Jamie, thank you so much for coming on our show today. We want to have you back again to do some more segments with us. We love The Jungle Room podcast. So, guys, all you life and laughers, go out there and check it out. You're going to like it. It's good, good information. Thank you so much for having me. And I love your podcast. I've said it on my show. You guys are going to be big. It's, you guys, you guys are gonna be huge. Hey, listen, we're gaining weight all the time because of this <laughs> yeah. COVID right now. I mean, you know I thought we was being nice. You didn't have to call me out for being fat. I mean, dang, dang, girl. <laughs> all right, guys. <laughs> thank you hey, thank, for having me. Yes, thank you so much, Jamie. And guys, coming up, we have a special guest on our show. Mindy Miller will be here, who dated Elvis in the seventies. So hang on for that. That's coming up in moments on Life and Laughs. E.P. Boulevard Pawn Shop, owned by John Daly, is the largest dealer of Elvis Presley memorabilia in Memphis, Tennessee. Over the past 22 years, the E.P. Boulevard Pawn Shop has amassed an impressive collection of memorabilia, ephemera, souvenirs, and original Elvis-owned items, specializing in buying, selling, and trading all Elvis Presley memorabilia. E.P. Boulevard Pawn Shop offers artifacts from the amazing career of Elvis Presley and has locations inside Marlowe's Ribs and Restaurant at 4381 Elvis Presley Boulevard, as well as a Tupelo location inside Relics Antiques. Shop online at www.epboulevardpawnshop.com. That's www.epblvdpawnshop.com. Or call 901-949-1977. That's 901-949-1977. E.P. Boulevard Pawn Shop the largest dealer of Elvis Presley memorabilia in Memphis, Tennessee. That's E.P. Boulevard Pawn Shop. Thank you. Thank you very much. Two men that played paper football every day in English class in high school. Here they are, Johnny and Elias. Welcome back to Life and Laughs Podcast. And on the celebrity hotline right now, we have someone that is very well known in the Elvis world. In fact, she dated Elvis and was an actress. Welcome, everyone, Mindy Miller. Yes. <laughs> Welcome, Mindy. Thank How you. are you? I'm good. How are you guys doing? We Great. are wonderful. First, tell us a little bit about you. Now, you're a former actress. In fact, I think you were an actress 
actress at the time you met Elvis. What was it, in 75, I believe? Yes, I met him, I think it was either March 12th or 13th of 1975, and I'd been living in Rome, Italy, and I had been doing films there and modeling. And uh, I started literally doing children's theater at 12. And oh. uh, then by the time I was 13, I was modeling because I was very tall and gangly and skinny. And then by the time I was 16, I was teaching at little modeling schools and doing interviews and things and going into beauty pageants at 13 and all that. So I started in the entertainment business very, very young, and I've been in it my entire life. So this will mark about, um, well, gosh, this will be over 50 years I've been in the industry. Oh, so wow. I'll be 70 on Friday. And oh, well, so happy early started, birthday. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so, you know, 12 to 70 is a long time. <laughs> it sure is. You said you were in Rome uh, at 13, I believe is what you said. No, Where no, were... no, no. I was, no, no. I, I lived in Rome when I met Elvis. Oh, um, 19, in 1975 and I came back for one week to close at my apartment and move back to Europe permanently because I loved it there and the week that I was here I was introduced to him through mutual people that knew me and that knew him but I didn't know that I was to be a blind date for him. He knew it but I didn't know it. Uh-huh. So <laughs> I was invited to a party at his house at 144 Montevale in Bel Air. Yeah, and when that's I the one right across the street from where Michael Jackson died. Correct. Exactly. Yes. When I got to the door, I didn't see any cars or anything, and they opened the door and said, you must be Mindy. And I thought, well, how do the heck do they know who I am? There must be a 100 people here. Huge house, you know, like what, seven, eight, ten thousand square foot house or something. Yeah. And I walk in, and there's no party. I was the party. <laughs> Yeah. So they kind of set you up to get there under that pretense as if it was going to be a party. But he had a motive of finding out if you were going to be his next girlfriend, so to speak. Exactly. I was interviewed, which I didn't even know for over an hour by all the Memphis Mafia. They sat me down in the den, which is a huge, huge room. And they were all sitting around the sides and to the back. And they slowly started asking me things like, are you spiritual? How old are you? Where do you go to school? Tell us about yourself, your parents. Do you read the Bible? Are you religious? What are your hobbies? All these things. Wow. I had no clue that this had to do with Elvis. I just thought, well, I'm, I was 24 at the time, and I thought, well, I'm just talking to these guys. I have no concept of what's going on. But you see, in those days, if you walked into a house like that, and there were, you know, 12 or 15 guys sitting there, I mean, you don't know if you're going to be lynched. You don't know what's going to happen. Today, right. I wouldn't do it. But I also knew karate, and I had studied firearms, and I'd been doing Shotokan, which Elvis was doing Kempo at that time. And he later had me take from Ed Parker. He wanted me to learn Kempo. So we had an awful lot in common. We both rode horses. We both loved firearms. He loved Hawaii. I grew up in Hawaii. We were both very religious, very spiritual, extremely spiritual. And during the first hour that I met him, he offered me a car and jewelry. And I turned him down. I said, absolutely not. I said, if something happens with us, you know, and we start to date or something heavier, I said, that's another story. I said, but I was not raised to take expensive gifts like that from a man and I said I don't know you and Mm -hmm. apparently he really liked that and he told David Stanley I really like her and at the end of the evening which ended up being seven o'clock the next morning um, David woke up and came downstairs to see me out the door and he said Elvis is so happy and I said really he said you made him so happy I said me I said how could I make him happy he said because (laughs) you're so 
so spiritual and that's what Elvis is looking for and that's what he needs and you didn't want anything from him. Sounds like you had a lot in common, a lot of different avenues of things to talk about. We never stopped talking. When he came into the room, because what happened is when they finished interviewing me, two or three of the guys left the room and at that time, apparently, without my knowing it, they went upstairs and told Elvis, we like her, she's good to go, you're okay. And that's when he came down and he came into the room and I could feel his presence before he ever entered. His his aura and his energy was so magnificent and so large that you could feel the vibrations of the room change before he ever walked in. And wow. I felt something was going to happen. And I turned to my right, and there he was, standing in the doorway. Oh, wow. You know, I've had yeah. several people say that, that you could actually literally feel when Elvis walked into a room, even if you didn't see him walk in. You knew something was going to happen. And you had no idea that it was him or anything. But I will tell you this, about two and a half years prior to that, I had passed him in his car. He was in one of the black studs Bearhawks. Yeah. And I passed him in my Jeep with my girlfriend. And I thought, my God, this car is the most beautiful car I've ever seen. And I looked over to see who was driving it. It was Elvis. And it hit me like a ton of bricks. And I literally pulled my car over to the curb and my girlfriend said what's the matter with you and I said that was Elvis Presley she said yeah I said but you don't understand I said I just got the weirdest premonition that not only am I going to meet this man but I'm going to know him very very well and I'm telling you that happened I guess about two two and a half years later and I wasn't a big fan you know I didn't cut out pictures of him and paste him on my wall or anything it wasn't like that at all for me I enjoyed his films. I'd gone to a couple of his concerts in California, but it never, ever occurred to me that I would ever meet this man, let alone have him as a boyfriend. Yeah. So his energy was that strong. I, and it was the same kinetic energy I felt at the house before he came in the room. Hmm. Same energy. It just hits you upside the head like somebody just knocked you over. And so you met him that night. When did uh -huh. you begin dating him? The next night. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about it. Well, I guess you could say that was actually our first date that first night. The first night when I wouldn't accept any gifts from him, he called Al Strada and he said, I want you to come upstairs. And he said, you know, honey, it's not what you think. I said, I'm not thinking anything. He said, no. He said, I'll treat you like a lady and all that. And he said, first of all, I just finished recording this song and you will be the first person to ever hear it out of the studio. And I said, you're kidding. He said, no. He said, and I'm going to do it on the next concerts that I do, you know, throughout the year here, throughout 75. And he had me sit on the edge of the bed and he went to the back of his bedroom and they had the tape deck, you know, that goes around and around. He yeah, turned the reel the tape, to reel. Yeah, reel to reel. He turned the tape deck on and it was just, not the lyrics, just, a, you know, just a tune. And he started singing live to me. And he's oh, standing wow. there in his, <laughs> yeah, in his sweats and his little a white um, tennis cap. And he looked just the same way as he looked on his last vacation in Hawaii in 1977. Yeah. And he started singing it to me, and it was T-R-O-U-B-L-E. Oh, wow. Which what? became my 
favorite? Well, you know, let's, I mean, how you can't have just one favorite Elvis song. That's impossible. But yeah. outside of his gospel, which are my favorites, and some others, that really, really hit me because it's a very hard-driving rockabilly song. And then Travis Tritt did his own rendition a few years later. So I fell in love with the song. And, and at the end, when he stopped singing, and again, you know, he's singing to me privately. He said, uh, honey, how do you like it? And I said, I love it. I, he said, do you really? <laughs> he said, he said, do you think I should do it in the concert? I said, absolutely. I said, it'll get everybody going. Everybody will be on their feet dancing. He said, that's what I want. That's what I want. He <laughs> said, okay. He said, then it's in. Now, you have to remember, I had only met him a few hours earlier. He's so generous and so loving and so down to earth. And this was like talking to my best friend that I had known forever. But I think we both, I, I don't think, I know that we both bonded that night because of the spiritual and he always tried to read spiritual books to the girls and the guys and his ex-wife and all that, but nobody was really having any part of it. They weren't into it the way I was. And this became our first bond. So that night, he called Al into the bedroom, and he told Al something, and about an hour or two later, there's a knock on the door, and I hear Al going, hey, boss. Hey, boss, I got what you needed here. And Elvis says, come on in. And he had this huge box of books. (laughs) And he said, "Uh, honey, he said, you won't accept a car. You won't accept jewelry. But will you accept these books? And I said, well, what are they? And he said, they're very high spiritual books from my favorite bookstore. And I said, well, what's your favorite bookstore? He said, the Bodhi Tree. I said, Elvis, that's my favorite bookstore. He goes, no, it's not. (laughs) I said, yes, it is. My apartment was one block away from the Bodhi tree and that's where I always went and that's where I always hung out so this was meant to be and that night we poured over the books he gave me from dream theory astral projection numerology the Cheryl's books of numbers just all these things and that's when we bonded and then at seven o'clock I said Elvis I need to go and he said okay I drove home I was only 15 minutes away from his house he was in Beverly Hills I was in West Hollywood and I walk in the door and the phone's ringing now it's like 7:20 in the morning I'm like who's calling me so I <laughs> I pick up the phone, and it's Elvis. And I said, hello. And he goes, huh, honey, did you get home okay? And I said, who is this? He goes, he goes, it's me, Elvis. And I went, okay, all right. So, you know, I mean, here's, here's this great guy making sure I was home okay, that I was safe, like a gentleman, like a beautiful southern gentleman. We talked for another two hours on the phone, and then he said, it's getting to be past my bedtime, so by now it's 10 a.m. He said, it's past my bedtime, and we had just been on what I call EP time, which is Elvis Presley time, which is up all night, sleep all day. He said, well, I'm going to see you tonight, aren't I? I said, well, if you want to. He said, I want to. He said, be ready. I'm going to pick you up at, I don't know what it was, 8, 9 o'clock. And he did. And then that second night, I had my face pressed against the window pane of my bedroom because I could see out my bedroom on the street. So at the appointed hour, here comes Elvis with this long black limousine and his driver, I can't remember his name now, it slips my mind, but it was his driver in, in L.A. And here's Elvis, and I mean now he is decked out to the max because the previous night he didn't know if he was going to meet me I mean he knew he was supposed to meet someone but he didn't get all gussied up you know because he didn't know if the guys were going to say yeah she's good to go or not so he wasn't going to get all 
crimped out, you know. But there he was, standing up through the moonroof in the back of his long stretch limo with a rifle, holding a rifle straight <laughs> up in the air. And I, and I will tell you something. Years later, when I think back to that scene in Pretty Woman, when Richard Gere, I don't know if you saw the movie, was standing yeah. up in the black limousine going <laughs> to get Pretty Woman played by... Um, Julia Roberts. Thank you, Julia Roberts. So there there was Richard Gere, all decked out, and he was holding flowers up straight up in the air. Do you remember that? I do remember that. Okay, so that is exactly how Elvis looked, but it was Elvis decked out in all black, high collar, hair done, you name it, sunglasses on, with the rifle sticking straight up. And I thought, <laughs> oh my God, if I only had my camera ready, I would take a picture of this. And there he was, and he kept standing up through the moonroof when one of the guys came and knocked on my door to get me. <laughs> That's so awesome. I'm picturing that in West Hollywood. What, what a great sight that oh, had to be. You have, you seriously have no idea and then we drove around Beverly Hills and he showed me all these places that he liked and where he played football and he literally took me on a tour of what he did and we went to RCA Studios and he said honey he said this is where I recorded that song I, you know I played and sang for you last night and it was his last time ever recording at those RCA Studios in Hollywood it was his last time wow what and a story say, yeah. Oh, and that's just the beginning. I mean, I dated him on and off for 75 and 76 and then attended his funeral and stayed quiet for 40 some odd years. And he said to me, promise me you will never, ever write a book about me. And I promised him because he was very, very hurt by the book that the guys wrote, you know, and this yeah. was coming out at the time he and I were dating. So, you know, we had long discussions about it. And by the way, I loved all three of them and still do. And whatever yeah. happened between them and Elvis is between them and Elvis. Dave is a very good friend of mine. He's a good buddy and a good guy and he's got a good heart. So you know, and I saw Sonny a year a year before he passed away with cancer. He and his wife Judy. I saw them outside Nashville a year before mm -hmm. Sonny passed. I didn't get a chance to see Red before he passed. But you yeah. know, I was always treated with respect from the guys, and I don't care what anybody says. They all loved him. Yes, they were angry with him. And what people may not know is that Elvis was going to hire him back. He said, "Daddy, I'll probably hire him back after a couple of months." He said, mm -hmm. "But you need to pay him some severance pay." And don't tell him I'll hire him. He says, but I kind of want to teach him a lesson. Well, his daddy did not give him the money, and he didn't tell him Elvis would probably hire him back. So they were angry. They were hurt. And they did what they felt they had to do. I'm not involved in it. I'm not here to pass judgment on anyone. Yeah, that's life. That's relationships. We all have those kind of issues. And theirs were just a little more public. A little bit. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit, yeah. But... You know, then on the second date, you know, he said, well, I'm going to see you tomorrow again. And I, you know, after that evening was over and I said, well, Elvis, I don't think so. And he said, why not? And I said, because I only have a few days left here. I'm only here for a week. And he goes, what do you mean? Don't you live here? I said, well, I have an apartment here. I said, but I've been in Rome for like the last six months. And I said, I want to move there permanently. He said, no, no, you can't. I said, what do you mean? What do you mean I can't? And he said, no, I want you to stay here. I said, but what am I going to stay here for? He said, me. I said, but Elvis, you don't live here. 
you have a house here. You live in you live in Memphis. He said, no. He goes, but I'll be here and I'll be in and out. I want you to be my girlfriend. And I didn't know that he was looking for a new girlfriend at that time. Yeah. Um, uh, Sheila Ryan had just gone out of the picture. Apparently, Linda was on and off with him. And he was looking to, I guess, replace her. He didn't tell me that. He's he's not that kind of a person. But from my understanding, he was looking for a, for a new girlfriend. So that's what he told me. And I didn't question it. I didn't go into it. And he said, no. I said, well, Elvis, what would I be doing here? Would I just be waiting for you? He said, no, no. He said, it won't be like that. And I said, well, how will it be? And at this point, I got very serious because I said, you know, I'm not uprooting my entire life for somebody that I never see. Right. Yeah. And he said, no. He said, look, he says, I'm going to be going on tour in a couple of weeks. He said, I want you to come with me. I want you to come on tour with me. You'll come to Graceland. You'll meet my daddy. You'll meet my grandma Dodger. You'll meet my Aunt Delta. You'll meet members of the family. And when you're there, my house is your house. Wow. And I thought, my God. Yeah. Because he really thought a lot about you. He did after two dates. I was shocked. Um, yeah. And, you know, as I said, a couple of the guys had told me that. So, again, I never spoke about this to anybody. I never talked to anybody about it. I kept all of this to myself for years and years and years. I wasn't looking to be famous because of him. I had already been in the entertainment industry. I wasn't looking to parlay his name to become somebody. You know, I always felt that if I was ever going to be anybody in the entertainment industry, it was going to be because of something I did. And if I failed or if I didn't make it big or I didn't do this or that, that was on me, not not because my name is attached to somebody famous, you know. I don't yeah. want to be somebody because of somebody famous. Right. So I basically told him that. And he said, look, you can move back here, keep your apartment, and I will make things in such a way that you will be able to afford to stay here. Well, I didn't know what that meant, and mm -hmm. I didn't question it. He said, look, he said, stay here. Don't go back. I do not want you flying back to Rome and getting your clothes. Because he was afraid if I flew back there that I'd stay. Yeah. So he said, I want you to send for your clothes, send for everything you need, do whatever you need to do, sublet that apartment, give it up, whatever you're going to do in Rome, and get everything back. And I will be in touch with you. You know, we will stay in close touch until you come on tour in the next couple of weeks. And he said, it won't be like you're thinking. It's going to be boyfriend, girlfriend, and it's going to be not that I see you every once in a while. Well, of course, as it turns out, I didn't know that at the time, but Elvis was always dating other girls. He could never be with just one lady. He just couldn't. Not before, yeah. during, or after his marriage. He just couldn't. That was him. And you either loved this man unconditionally or you left. And yeah. most they left because of their own insecurity and they didn't want to share him. But there's a bigger picture here with Elvis Presley. This is Elvis Presley. And you have people throwing themselves at him. And like any man, he's going to look and he might be tempted. And there are millions of women around the world that love him. So I made the decision to stay with him as long as he would have me and love him unconditionally, which I did. And I watched out after him when I was with him and did everything I could for him. And two days later, Joe Esposito's wife called me, his ex-wife, Joni, and she said, Mindy, she goes, Elvis has something for you and you're supposed to meet me at Ship's Restaurant, which is no longer there, on La Cienega and 
I think it was Olympic or Pico at the corner. And I met her there, really sweet lady. And she had spent a lot of time with Joe. They had two darling daughters together. And we're sitting at the table inside Ship's Restaurant eating, having coffee or whatever. And she pulls out an envelope and she gives to me, she said, Elvis wants you to have this. And with this, you're supposed to get back everything from Europe, get your car fixed, since she would not accept a new car from him because my car was all bashed in. She said, and keep the apartment. I opened the envelope and it was $5,000 in cash. Oh, now, wow. at that time, at that time, you know, 45, 46 years ago for a little 24-year-old, yeah. that's a lot of money. It's more like $25,000 today. Yeah. I was in absolute shock. I could not believe it. And I called him immediately when I got home and I thanked him. And he had given me his private numbers and all that. Of course, we didn't have cell phones in those days, so... Mm-hmm. If you couldn't get to him, you got to Joe or you got to one of the guys. They'd relay the message for him to call me back. But uh, I couldn't believe it. I, I was just in shock. So I got everything back from Europe, met him on tour a couple of years later, and that's how it started. Goodness. So yeah. how many times did you get to tour with him to see him actually live in concert? Oh, my God. Well, I joined him in Florida, and then we went into, God, Indiana. We went into Mississippi. We went into Kentucky, and then he did that big, big free concert where the tornado completely wiped everybody out, and he raised like hundreds of thousands of dollars for the city and the state, and that's the one that the colonel had put together. And I'm trying to remember what state that was. Again, the fans will know it. I was Um, thinking of Mississippi, but I I could be wrong. You know, I don't remember, but we went into city after city after city. And then sometimes he would have two concerts in one day. He'd do a noon show in one city. We would literally go to the car. I'd already be in the car at the end of the song, so I never heard the last song because the guys always ushered me to the limo and I'd be waiting for him. And then they would usher him off the stage. And, you know, the last thing I would hear would be Elvis has left the building and Elvis (laughs) would be flying into the car with a white towel around his neck, just sweating profusely, exhausted. I mean, just spent. And I would help him off with the jewelry and the belts and all that and wipe him down. And I mean, there are so many stories that I could go into about him, about every little thing. But then sometimes literally go right to the Lisa Marie, his plane, and take off for the night show. And then we'd go to the hotel. He would take a nap. Well, usually we'd go to the plane, we'd go into the bedroom of the plane, the back, back of the bedroom and we'd sleep. He'd take a nap or to calm himself down, we would read the spiritual books or read the Bible together or sing some spiritual songs together and then we'd take a nap until the plane landed. Then we'd be in the next city and then we'd go straight to the hotels which were always the Hilton's because he had that gig at the Hilton. So it was usually one of the Hilton hotels and then we would change and get ready for the night show which was usually at 8 o'clock. So, you know, this guy, he went and went and went and did and did and did till he couldn't do it anymore. I mean, he was exhausted. Yeah, that's unheard of today. Yeah, nobody does that today. No, you don't. And that's because the colonel set it up for him like that. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. And he wasn't about to turn the colonel down. I mean, you know, like people have heard him say, hey, man, you know, last I saw, I was driving a truck. Right. So he wanted to be out there. He wanted to make the money. And he wanted, you know, he 
he got that house. He did every everything he did, he did for his mother. Yeah. Everything. That house was for his mama. That singing career was for his mama. He wanted to be an entertainer and take her away from all the work she had to do and, and buy her beautiful things and buy her a car and pretty clothes. And by him going into to the Army, I, I think part of that was her demise. I, don't, I just don't think she could take it. The distance being so far away, I'm sure, didn't help her health issues. No, and, you know, she had the kidney problems and liver problems and heart problems, which, you know, Elvis also got. It was very, very genetic. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people don't realize that. They don't they don't realize his genetics on both sides of his family. You know, they're more concerned about what jumpsuit he wore on what day and smaller things. And mm-hmm. it's the bigger stuff, the inside stuff that they don't know about. So they'll say things that aren't true. And Elvis had a lot of pride in himself and didn't want to share those things and definitely didn't want those things to become public. And I think those closest around him, of course, kept a lot of that hidden. Yes, until he passed away, because one of the first things I was told by the guys was, okay, Elvis has told us you're going to be his girlfriend. This was not a one night stand. This was not a few dates, as some have said. This was not a fling, as some have said. And those are people that are jealous. Those are people that did not know our true relationship. And those are people that are trying to make something more of their life. And so they try and downtrodden the people that were really there. They weren't there in the private moments. They don't they don't know what went on between he and I. Yeah. That's private. That's something that I would never share with people, things that he told me privately and things that I honor him and respect him for then and still do today. And I was appalled. I've, I've never read any of these books. I haven't read one. I didn't read the book that the guys wrote. I didn't read any books by his ex-girlfriends. And his fans come and tell me, did you see that so-and-so said this and so-and-so said that she had to go down his throat and saved him four times and, you know, he swallowed his food and he was gagging. Do you think Elvis would want his public to know those things? No. He would not. Would you want your ex-wife or your ex-girlfriend talking things about you like that publicly? Of course not. Oh, yeah. No, of course you wouldn't. Why put those things in a book? You put those things in a book because you ultimately want to sell it and make as much money as you can. That's not honoring him. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. It's not honoring the man. Yeah, there's been a lot of people that definitely used his name to, to make money. And even go up above that, a lot of people that didn't even know him try to say that they knew him and made money off of just using his name and yeah and just to think that's what it's like when he passed away when he was alive just think about what must have gone through his mind the the trust issues and you know it would be very hard to live a life knowing that so many people just wanted to use you to get ahead yeah well you know we talked about the word use and he said something I will never forget. He said a lot of things I'll never forget, and he taught me a lot. But one of the most important things I remember, and I've said it to people all the time, my friends and family members, we all use each other, meaning the word use as in utilize. We utilize somebody to fix our car. We pay them. We utilize someone to be a cook. We utilize someone as a realtor. But you don't misuse and you don't abuse. Mm -hmm. There were people in his life that abused and misused him and his name because everyone used him for something, whether it be positive or negative. But the misuse and abuse 
is what he taught me. And he said, honey, there's a difference. We are all teachers and we are all students, me and you included. Mm -hmm. And he said, Mindy, you're on the, you're on the path and we're going to read these spiritual books together and we're going to learn together and we are going to escalate our spirit to the highest that it can be so that when our bodies can no longer house our spirits, that we will be able to take them as high as possible in God's world. So these are the things that people don't hear about Elvis and how he speaks and how he really was as a private man. They only know him from the stage. They know him from his movies. They hear that he was a gracious man and humble, but they don't know what he actually said. When you think back about your times with Elvis, what's the first thing when you want to think about a happy time with Elvis? What's the first thing that pops into your mind? His generosity. Yeah. The fact that he was so generous with who he was, and I don't mean monetarily, I mean who he was as an entity on this planet. He was such a deep thinker, and he was such an old soul. And what hurts me for him is that all the things he told me that he wanted his public to know, they don't know unless I'm able to share it with them. And the only people that really do that when we go out and do our public speaking is Larry Geller and myself. We'll tell fun stories and fun things, you know, that happen. But we knew him in a very different way. We knew him in a very high, high spiritual way. And one of the reasons that we both feel that he, you know, was lonely at so many times was because he really had no one to share that with. And he yeah. tried, but people weren't, in, they weren't into it. Mm -hmm. So when I think of him and good times, I think of the teacher that he was and the incredible gift that he was that God gave this nation and this world. He was a gift. Mm -hmm. And I know that he sits on the right hand of God. Yeah. Um, so I speak about him probably very differently than a lot of other people do. I'm sure you've interviewed a lot of other people. And also, I'm sure you've heard this a million times, his sense of humor was off the chart. Yes. <laughs> he was the funniest guy I have ever, ever met. This guy was hysterical, and he would get into laughing jags and could not stop, and he would crack everybody up. Everybody. <laughs> they say that his, la his laugh is infectious. Infectious, and we were at a funeral one time, and he started laughing, and I mean, it's, it's, that's, a whole, that's a whole other story. That's a whole other story. I actually just posted in my group, Elvis Presley and Mindy Miller. Uh, I posted that, and, you know, I've posted a lot of things in the last few years, and, you know, they come up as memories and then I repost them to share them with new people and people that are coming to Elvis that are still youngsters and I just think it's wonderful that young kids are still discovering this man and people say well who do you think really keeps him alive I said well you do of course and they said well what do you mean I said you the fans are what keep him alive and nobody else and nothing else but the fans yeah that's who keeps him alive because if the fans did not go to Graceland if they did not buy the tickets like he said if they didn't buy the tickets to my concerts if they didn't buy the tickets you know um, buy my albums if they didn't buy tickets to see my movies he goes I wouldn't be anywhere. And that is still true today. It's mm -hmm. the fans that keep him going. It's nothing else. They can put out all the content they want and all the trinkets they want to. But you know what? Trinkets are one thing. The man is another. Yeah. And the people want to know about the man, not the trinkets. 
speaking of the man, in your opinion, what do you think? Let's make this a two-part question. First of all, what do you think is the number one thing about Elvis Presley? Like if he could sit here in, in front of us today and say, if someone asked him, who is Elvis Presley? How do you think he would respond to that? And also, how do you think he would respond to the fans today if he could tell them one thing today that he wished that they knew about him or one thing that he could say to them, what would that be? Well, the first part is that he would say that he is, first of all, a very private person. Um, he is, does not involve himself politically. He doesn't press on anyone else that this is right or wrong. He was very much in his own life, knowing what's right and wrong for him. But he was really not somebody that would publicly pass judgment. And even privately, things would happen in, in the group with the guys or something. And he'd say, honey, he said, uh, I may be mad at them. I may be angry at them today, but I always love them. He was very much knowing the difference between loving somebody and being angry with them. And he would say things like, I may not like you today, but that doesn't mean I don't love you as a person. Yeah. And um, he would want his fans to know that he was very, very spiritual. And I remember him telling me that one of the things he wanted his fans to know, and he never got the chance to tell them, which is why I do, is that when he was on stage, he used to liken the audience to the people sitting in the pews in the churches. And mm -hmm. that he, he, he would always imagine that he was not a deity, of course, but that he could be kind of like a pastor to them, and especially when he sang the gospel songs, that he would administer to them about God through his songs, and he wanted them to, you know, believe in the Lord, believe in God, and do the right thing by God's word, not by Elvis's word, but by God's word. Um, mm -hmm. He wanted his fans to know that. He wanted them to know that, as I said, he was a very private person. But the one thing he really wanted them to know about him is that he loved them unconditionally. He absolutely loved his fans. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons I go out today and do what I do. I don't get paid tons and thousands and thousands of dollars like some people do. I don't ask for it. I don't expect it. Mm -hmm. I do it for the love of this man to share with the people that loved him who he was and how he was, because they're not going to always hear that. And as a lot of these people are slowly passing away, there aren't that many of us left that really knew him. I mean, yeah. really knew him. So I would say that's the first part. And tell me again the second part. If he could be here today and, and have a message for his fans, just any kind of message from him, what do you think he would most want the fans to know about him? Gosh, that's a hard one. Um, I think the fact that he... You know, he would always say things like, you know, they raised me up so high. They raised me up to be like a god or a king. He says, you know, Mindy, he said, I'm just an average guy that's a singer. I'm just an average guy that's an entertainer. And please don't put me on a pedestal. Because he said, it's just too hard to live up to it. He said, I mm -hmm. can't. He said, I do my best, but I can't. He said, and I wish the fans wouldn't do that to me because their expectations are so high. Yeah. He yeah. said, and I don't want to disappoint them. And, you know, that's why so much of his private life was private. And as I started to say, when I, I first started dating him, I was told, Mindy, nothing about Elvis leaves this house. What happens at Graceland stays in Graceland. What happens in Vegas, and that was a long time ago that the saying started, <laughs> stays in Vegas. And what happens on tour, what happens anywhere with him is private. 
you don't share anything. And I said, absolutely not. And I never did. And to this day, I only speak about high points because they were always high points for me. He wanted his fans to know how much he loved them. I mean, he truly, truly loved them. And everything he did in his career, he did for his fans. He wanted to look the best he could for his fans. He would get the most brilliant stage wear and stage costumes and things. I mean, he loved his fans. And he always wanted them to think highly of him. He never wanted to disappoint them. And so one of the things being is that he used to always say things like, I want to be there for them, but do you think they'll remember me? And he used to ask all of us that, do you think they'll remember me? And we always said, of course they will. But he was uncomfortable with the fact that the fans put him on a pedestal. And he always said, you know, I can't live up to what they expect. They're making me a god. You know, they're making me the king and they give me these things that say Elvis the king and all this. He said, Mindy, I'm not. He says, I'm a very simple man from very humble beginnings. I grew up poor. We didn't have anything. That's why I want to give people gifts. I want to make people happy. He said, and as I was growing up, I saw that singing made people happy. He said, because it made me happy. When I had my down days, I would go and he would, you know, go to church and listen to the choir and, you know, he'd get up and run up in the, in the church and sing. And he started that at two and three years old, he told me. So he always wanted to entertain because he wanted to make people happy. So by making people happy in the same moment, he never wanted to disappoint them. And that's very tough to do because people, as you know, the public is very fickle. One day they love you, one day they don't. One day you say something that ticks them off, and the next day they've deleted you. You know, you're no longer their friend on Facebook or something. So his whole thing was he wanted to let his fans know how much he loved them. A. B. Don't put me on a pedestal. I'm no more than a man. I'm an entertainer, and that's all I am. And three, the fact that he just wanted to share with them his spirituality and how to be a better person. And he wanted them to know who he was and not just a rock and roll star, an actor, and a singer. He wanted them to know who he was as a a spiritual entity. And that's what he used to tell me, and that's what he used to tell Larry Geller. And that was really, really important to him. And if he were alive today going through this, I'm sure that he would be doing whatever he could to help people during these hard times that are not able to work and don't have a job and not allowed to work and losing their homes and all that, he would be, I'm sure, giving money away to charities and he would be doing whatever he could for his public and his fans to help them. And many people have written into me and said, you know, what do you think he'd be doing? Do you think he'd be helping people? I said, absolutely. If he had to give a one-man concert in the back of Graceland, he would, you know, Mm. to put it on the air somehow or do a new album and record in the house like he did his last time and make as much money as he could for people. It was always for everybody else. It was never about himself. He had a really big heart for other people. For example, there's several, several stories from a lot of family and friends about him just reading something in the newspaper about someone hurting or missing or needing something, and he would go out and meet this need. I mean, this is not your average, everyday celebrity. You know, most celebrities when they get the money and the fame, that's the last thing on their mind. But he literally almost gave everything he had away to these people that he didn't even know and didn't want any fanfare about it. No, he and he did. And, you know, when he passed away, I talked to Joe, you know, at the funeral. And Joe said, you know, his daddy was looking into what was left. And literally out of 
all the millions and millions of dollars that this man made, he only had five million left. Now, that's nothing for a man in that day for what he did. And that's why his daddy was so upset. He said, Elvis, you got to stop buying people houses and cars and jewelry and all its clothes and giving them money. Because Vernon remembers how poor they were, and so does Elvis. And, mm -hmm. you know, Elvis was been in arguments with his daddy and say, Daddy, it's my money. I'll do what I want with it. Don't tell me what to do. Yeah. And he said, I can always go back out and do more shows and concerts. But you see, toward the end, he wasn't feeling well. And he wouldn't have been able to carry on that uh, that kind of a schedule any longer. He mm -hmm. would have had to have taken his time off, which he was looking to do, to recuperate and rest and sleep and just get well. You know, again, Everything was for his fans. And I think he felt a big responsibility for everyone in his life that worked for him, his family, his friends, to take care and provide for them because of his generous heart. He had such a big heart, and he didn't want to let anyone else down. Yeah, and you know, the thing is, people forget that Gladys, his mother, was one of, I think, five children. His daddy, and on his father's side, Vernon's mother had something like seven or eight children. Mm -hmm. There were so many kids. There were so many cousins. People forget what a huge, huge family he had. And yet you very rarely hear about him. Yeah. Because the people that are in power right now don't talk about Elvis' side of the family. They talk about the other quote unquote side of the family. If you catch mm -hmm. my drift. Yeah. They mm -hmm. they don't talk about Elvis's family. And it's very sad because they've gone by the wayside. Right. And yeah. And I think up. the majority of Elvis's real fans really feel that way. I mean, and that's the thing. People know who was closest to Elvis. And out of everyone that I've interviewed, they all say the same thing. Who was closest to Elvis? It was Billy Smith, of course, his cousin. Yeah. And it was those. It was his family. And those are the ones that, unfortunately, you know, like you said, don't get the recognition that they deserve. No, because they were all purposely left out after Elvis passed away. Right. Somebody came in and took over that was never supposed to be there in the first place. And, you know, the good thing about, uh, like, Billy and Joe and, and those, because I've met them several times, and they have the nicest heart. They, You will never hear them say anything negative about all of these other people. And if anyone had a right to, you know, it might be them, you would think. But they're not like that. Well, no. Uh, why? Because they hold themselves with such dignity and such class. They don't have to go down to somebody else's level. They were there for his entire life, not a few years. You know, Gene and a lot of the other members of the family were there with Elvis, went on tour with Elvis in the beginning. He couldn't take everybody, but he took as many as he could from time to time and wanted his family there and supported everybody. You know, so many of them lived out back in trailers on the ground because when he bought the house, it was like, I don't know, 13, 15 acres or something. And prior to that, it was like 100 and some on acres when the doctor, you know, bought the house. He, he sold off acreage. And by the time Elvis got it, you know, he was like 13 or 15 acres left. So the rest of his family members lived on the acreage and, you know, his nurse and, and other things. But it hurts me again for him that his family has not gotten the recognition that they deserve. Yeah, it's really sad that a lot of the closer family and friends don't feel, I guess, don't feel welcomed as much. I don't know if that's the right word to use at Graceland or at the Graceland events. And you hate to see Lisa Marie not know that side of her family like 
Elvis would have liked? Well, growing up, I don't think she had that choice when Elvis passed away because she lived with her mother. But certainly as a young adult, she had a choice. She right. had a choice to contact his side of the family. That's her blood, okay? Yeah. That's her daddy, her grandfather's side of the family. She had a choice. As an adult, she could have gone back and say, hey, you know, maybe I wasn't allowed to be here or this happened or that happened. I won't get into that. That's private family stuff, even though I know what happened. But the point is, we all have choices. We can go up or down. We can go in or out. There's either rain or shine. There's either good or bad. There's either positive or negative. We have choices. God has given us choices. What yeah. you decide to do with those choices is up to you. And we, each of us, are in our life where we have chosen to be. I wish at some point that all sides, you know, there's a lot of division within the Elvis world. We'll just put it that way to simplify it. Oh I wish, God. yeah, I wish there was some way that everyone could just unite, put the past behind and make it right before a lot of these people pass away. Well, you know, when I came out four years ago, that's exactly what I tried to do. I'm friends with some of his girlfriends, his ex-girlfriends. Some of them I'm not. They don't, they don't want to be a part of that. Okay, that's up to you. There are other people that feel the same way. They don't want any part of the girlfriends. They just think that when he died, you know, or when he was divorced, that everything else stopped, that he didn't have a life after that. Well, excuse me. But he did, and he enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. And um, the thing of it is, is that the guys were jealous of one another from time to time. And if somebody got a ring and Elvis gave him a ring upstairs and they walked downstairs, and one of the guys says, oh, is that a new ring? Did Elvis just give you that? You know, yeah. there was a little bit of jealousy there or envy, and that's why Elvis always gave to everybody. Each guy got new cars. Each guy got jewelry. Each guy got rings. Everybody got something. Elvis made sure that he was giving and giving and giving. And by the time I met him, I had heard that he was a big giver. I didn't know a lot about him. But the last thing I wanted was something from him. I wanted him. If I was going to be with him, I wanted him. All I cared about was the man. I didn't care about all the other stuff because, remember, I had grown up in show business, so I had already seen people with their private planes. I'd already flown on them. I was around the biggest of the biggest. I'd already done so much by the time I was 24 and met him that none of this was new to me. This was very average in the entertainment industry, whereas most of the girls he dated were either from Memphis or they were from his hometown, and they were young, and they had never been thrown into that world. They went into yeah. that world after him. I was already in it way before I ever met him. Mm -hmm. So I understood him very well, and I had no expectations, and I understood that lifestyle very, very well. So we had a lot in common. Do you remember where you were? Because this is something I've asked everyone that I interview, because I'm fascinated how it affected everyone's life. But do you remember where you were when you heard about Elvis passing? Yes. I had been driving the car that I eventually allowed him to buy for me. <laughs> he gave me a car in 1976, and the car was, oh gosh, maybe a year old, not even a year old when he passed. And I was in West Hollywood in my apartment. Um, I was working on a TV series called Switch with Robert Wagner and Eddie Albert and Charlie Callis and yeah. Sharon Gless, which, oddly enough, RJ and Elvis were friends. Mm -hmm. And Natalie had dated Elvis for a very short period of time. It was set up by the um, publicity guys, and they yeah. set them up on a date. And she was always in love with RJ. So there was never anything that was going to happen with Elvis, even though a lot of people think there was. It was, a completely, it was completely set up by both of their public relations managers. Her heart was always with R.J., who was Robert Wagner. He was called R.J. because his middle 
middle name was James, so it was Robert James Wagner. So I was working on the show. I was out driving the car. I had been working on the show while I was dating Elvis for two and a half, three years, because I had to go back into modeling and the acting when he said, stay in L.A. And I said, okay. So I had to go back into the industry. There, I'd been out driving the car. I pulled into the driveway. I went up to the apartment, and my phone was ringing. The person on the other end of the phone said one word, and they just said, Mindy, like that. And I knew from this person's voice, because I knew this person very, very well. Mm-hmm. And you know when you know somebody, you can tell by one word they're happy yeah. or sad, something happened. And I just immediately said, he's gone, isn't he? Just like that. I said, he's gone, isn't he? And this person on the other line said, yes. I dropped to the floor with the phone in my hand, and I was in shock. I knew that he wasn't well, but it was still shocking. Yeah, and it had yeah. been seven or eight months since I had seen him. And I had spoken to him uh, in 77, and I found out just last year from Al and from Larry Geller that he had been asking for me the last year. Oh, wow. And he had, he had told Joe Esposito to get in touch with me, and Joe didn't. And I love mm-hmm. Joe, mm-hmm. and Joe and I were very, very close. He lived one mile from me, from my apartment in West Hollywood, after I met Elvis. So I was always over at his place. He would make pasta dinners. We'd go to the movies. You know, we we were very close. We had a great time and he was a very good friend. But I know there are personal things which I'm not at liberty to discuss as to why he didn't call. But Elvis asked for me that last year. I found out he was in Palm Springs and he told Joe to call me. I never got the call. I don't know what he told Elvis. And then another time he was in Syracuse, New York and he told Joe to call me and Larry was in the room when Elvis told him. And again, Mm -hmm. I never got the call. So I don't know what he told Elvis. And that kills me because yeah. I would never have wanted Elvis to think that I would not have been there in a New York second. Mm-hmm. But I never got the call. So mm. I dropped to the floor and I hung up the phone. Joe called me back 30 minutes later and said, get packing. you got to get on the plane and get out here. Unfortunately, the person that took over the plane would not allow me or Linda to be on the plane. And Joe had to call American Airlines and get people taken off American Airlines so that we could get to the funeral. Mm. And that's a sad yeah. thing because I've heard that before about a few other people. And, and it definitely wasn't because there wasn't enough room or anything like that. No, so. you're talking about an entire plane that carried maybe eight people, 10 right. people, 12 people. Mm-hmm. You're talking about a DC-10 plane that he refurbished when I knew him that he was so proud of. And you can't let bygones be bygones because your ego is so inflated. I'm sorry. So you get to the funeral. Describe everything around what you experienced at the funeral. Oh, it was unbelievable. I spent three days there and three nights. And as soon as I got off the plane, I don't even remember because I was in such shock who picked me up and drove me right to the house. And we could barely see the street. It was just masses and masses of people. I think we had to go three miles an hour. You couldn't get into the street. We pulled up to the gate and the guards at the gate knew, of course, who was driving me because it was one of Elvis's guys and ushered us because I've got Mindy here and they ushered, you know, the car went right in through the, they opened the music gate and mm-hmm. drove up and there were a lot of cars up there in the back to the side and in the driveway. And I walked in the house and the house was just packed with people. It was at night. They had taken his body that day. And I'm trying to remember if I saw him that night or if it was the next morning. I don't quite remember. And uh, first person I looked for was Joe and gave him a big hug and burst into tears, then said hi to everybody else. And people were crying and, 
you know, it was just utter disbelief, but yet not chaos. It was very quiet. It was yeah. very peaceful. There were people milling around and there were people that other people say were there, but I never saw them there. That doesn't mean they weren't. I just never saw them. I stayed as long as we could. Then I was taken to my hotel. And then the next morning, one of the guys picked me up again early and went in for the viewing. And we all had our turns all day. And we just spent the whole day and the whole night at the house talking and visiting people and telling stories about our times with him. And I just kept going back, back, back to see him. And I talked to him and I put my hand on his chest. And um, before I left my apartment, I thought, because he was so into Egyptology and the study of it, and he loved the fact that when the people would pass away, and we're talking about the wealthy people, the kings, the queens, the princes, all of those, that when they were put in their resting place, which was in the pyramids, they all had gifts that family members had given to them to take with them. So, mm -hmm. you know, when you opened up King Tut's tomb, he had all these things, you know, all these beautiful pieces of gold and all these things that were given to him to take on his journey home to God. And those things were put in a museum, of course, and people around the world can still see them today. So I kept thinking, what can I give to Elvis that he can take on his journey home? And because they had to pack so quickly and it was so, you know, I mean, it was just, you didn't have time to think. Mm -hmm. I mean, I just grabbed clothes and went. I found a tiny, tiny prayer book which was perfect, which I knew he would love. And I underlined in the prayer book, as we had underlined in the books he gave me, and he underlined in his books, because he always said a Bible never underlined in is really a Bible never read. Yeah. Because he always would make markings on the side and the top of the page and all of that. So I thought, I need to underline certain passages that I know he would love. So I took that prayer book with me, and on the very last day of the viewing, before it was my last time to see him, I went in, and I took the little prayer book, and I kissed him on the forehead. I put my hand over his heart, and I spoke to him, and I told him I loved him, and that I missed him, and that I would see him on the other side, and that he was loved the world over, and that he would have been just in awe of people that lined up to see him. You know, we had 80,000 people come through the house. I stood for six hours on his right side of his casket, and I never moved. And I watched 80,000 people come through that house. Wow. And um, we only lost three to fainting inside, although I heard there were many more fainting outside because it was really, really hot yeah. and really humid as it gets in Memphis. Mm -hmm. So there's so much to tell about the funeral that it would be impossible unless I write about it or write a book or whatever, which people keep saying, just write your autobiography and just share your stories because they know me. They know I would never put certain things in a book in private things. That's not who I am. It's not who Elvis was. It's not what he would have wanted. But if I do that, I'll tell all about the funeral and everything that happened. But when I kissed him goodbye, I slid the little prayer book under the left side of his white jacket, which was under his lapel. Mm -hmm. And I just hope and pray that nobody went through his resting place and took things away, because I'm sure there were other people that may have put something with him to take home. And also his daughter had a little bracelet put on him on his right wrist. Oh, and I wow. think that, you know, he... He took those home with him, too. So, you know, when I see the fans or people say, oh, you just had a fling. Oh, I heard you only had two dates with him. That's okay, because I know I was there. You know, I, I can talk about all of it. 
Um, So these people don't know. They're believing other people that are speaking out of turn, out of jealousy, and because perhaps they wanted to date him and didn't. And Mm -hmm. uh, they don't know all these things. And that's okay. It's enough that I know them because, you know, there were not that many people invited to the funeral. Believe me. Nobody can ever take what you have with him away. And no. No matter no. what's said or what's done. That's right. They can't. And they can try. But it won't happen because I was there. Right. And yeah. I'm not patting myself on the back or not trying to be humble. But these people, when they speak like that, they just don't know. They have mm. no clue. Only very close friends and family were at that funeral. The public mm. funeral was a whole other situation. I, there were, I think there were 17 white limos. And in numerology, which is one of his big studies, which we studied together, seven and one is eight. And he was born on the eighth. And that number followed him throughout his life everywhere. So isn't it interesting that there were 17 white limos? And yeah. everything white, I might add, because that was his favorite color. To this day, there hasn't been a funeral to that magnification. There actually was. You want to know who it was? Who was that? Are you familiar with the French Elvis Presley? I don't believe so. Okay. Um, I'm trying to think of his last name, and I can't believe it's escaping me now. But it's Johnny... Um, he was known all over Europe as the French Elvis. Hmm. He was incredible. They closed off the Champs-Élysées for him. They hmm. had thousands and thousands, if not millions of people all over Paris. They closed down everything for this man. Um, <laughs> and I speak a little bit of French. Um, je ne sais pas quoi maintenant, mais gosh darn it, I cannot think. Johnny... Halliday? Yes, Halliday, H-A-L-L-I-D-A-Y. And he married a very French famous singer who I loved named uh, Sylvie Vartin, which is V-A-R-T-A-N. Sylvie Vartin, Johnny was married four times, I believe, and his son became a very famous singer as well. Uh, He was the French Elvis, and you Google him and you will see the most incredible concerts this man gave. Unbelievable. I definitely will. Trust me when I tell you, he was, as we say in French, incroyable, which means incredible. (laughs) Incroyable. Yeah. Yeah. That is so awesome. Let me tell you from the fans, though, because we talked about how Elvis was a real person and how he was up on a pedestal. And the funny thing about this, and it's kind of sad in a way, I guess, because people like you and Joe and Billy and and the people that we've had on our show, Tish Henley, you know, Dave Hebler, we've had the Lacquer sisters and all of these people, everyone in the Elvis world that are like you are sharing the real Elvis to us. You have kind of made him a reality because to people that didn't know him, he was an icon. He was what you saw on TV. In his passing and meeting people and hearing stories like you have just presented to us today, you have made him a real person to us. And that's really one of the main things that he wanted in life. He wanted his fans to know the real him. And thanks to you and your stories and taking time with us today, we are able to do that. So thank you on behalf of all the fans. It's my pleasure because that was that was his fondest wish. And as I say, I don't do any of this for me. None, this is, I tell his fans, you know, they say, we're your fan now. I said, no, please don't say that. I don't have fans. I said, I have Facebook friends. You are his fans. You're my Facebook friends. And I'm here to share him with you because yeah. you love him so much. You can't get enough of him. And the people that you've spoken to knew him as a private citizen, as a private man. You know, let me say, he was like nobody I ever met before. Before. Nobody.
nobody I ever met since, and I know now I will never, ever meet anybody like him again in this lifetime. He was truly an exceptional human being, and that's not putting him on a pedestal, but I've lived all around the world. I've met thousands and thousands of people in my lifetime. I've worked with incredible entertainers. There was just no one like this man. No one. Not as a private citizen and not as an entertainer. There just wasn't. Well, you hear that from a lot of people that knew him. There's not enough words to really describe who Elvis there Presley was. There aren't enough words. I Listen, I get dumbfounded when I try to even... <laughs> You know, I, I mean, I'm not a prolific writer in that sense, but there aren't even enough adjectives. You can hear the frustration in those that knew him trying to let us know who he was. Well, I'm frustrated now because I'm like, you know, I've spoke about, I've spoken about him so much, and it, it, the verbiage is just, you know, you can go on and on and on and on and on, but it will still never be enough. And there's not just, I mean. The man was, I can only say, magnificent in every way. He was a gift of God. Yes, he had a temper. Yes, he'd get angry. He was a human being like any of us, but mm-hmm. he was exceptional, and he was extraordinary. Now, Elvis used to love to look for words within words. One of the words that he loved was extraordinary because it was the fact that it was extraordinary. He was ordinary. He was ordinary, but he was extraordinary. He was extraordinary. See, he was extraordinary. I wish he would come again. I really do. And, um... (laughs) But, you know, I always say, you know, even today, I'm so crazy, I... I look at these little kids, and they're two and three years old, and they're singing Elvis songs. I go, is that you? Are you? Is that you again? Did you come back? Is that you? Yeah. <laughs> I do. I swear to you. And people are always sending me, Mindy, did you see this little kid? Oh, did you see this? They're always, every day, I get 50 people at least coming to me. Did you see this? Did you read that? What do you think about this? What do you think about that? I try and answer them. I'm, I'm on the phone two, three hours every morning from like four to seven or eight in the morning answering people, talking to them. I try to talk talk to all his fans as much as I can because he would have wanted that and that's what he would have done when he went down to the gate to meet them and take pictures with them he would want the people that knew Elvis to continue that so I continue his legacy through him again it's not about me it's through Elvis Presley but honest to God I know he's sitting at God's right hand Mm -hmm. I know he is we'll have to have you back on again because we'll probably do this again around January it would be my pleasure anything for his fans is always my pleasure I love his fans. They have been so good to me. You know, whoever's listening to this, I just want to tell you, I love you all. You have made my life and enriched it so much in the last four to four and a half years. And I've become such dear friends with some of you, meeting you in person and at the house at Graceland and on tours and on my speaking engagements throughout the world. And I just tell them, I I love you all and keep on keeping on because it's you that keeps him alive. Uh, So to Each and every one of you, I love you, and I'm sending each one of you a big, big hug. And on their behalf, we love you as well, Mindy. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Hey, coming up, Mindy Miller helps us with Elvis Trivia. 
For 45 years, Marlowe's Ribs and Restaurant, located at 4381 Elvis Presley Boulevard in Memphis, has been providing the best in Memphis hospitality to locals and visitors from around the globe. Elvis Presley himself loved Marlowe's, and you can even sit in the Elvis booth where he himself ate. Marlowe's has taste that will satisfy anyone's palate, including their award-winning barbecue pork ribs, beef brisket, barbecue shrimp, or their famous Italian-style barbecue spaghetti. You can even try the King's signature peanut butter and banana sandwich, grilled on white bread and served with two slices of bacon, or the Elvis burger, crisp bacon, smoked ham, and American cheese, a burger fit for the king himself. Along with visiting Graceland, visiting Marlowe's for a meal while you're in town is a must. Located only one and a half miles from Elvis's home, Graceland, Marlowe's not only provides a great family atmosphere and great food, they will even pick you up in one of the Elvis-inspired pink limousines from some of the close-by hotels, shuttle you right to Marlowe's, and drive you back when you're finished. All in the style Elvis himself would be proud of. So next time you're in Memphis, make sure you stop by Marlowe's at 4381 Elvis Presley Boulevard, or you can order online at marlowesmemphis.net or call 901-332-4159. Come enjoy the ultimate dining experience at Marlowe's. Live from Roger Bumpus's bathroom, Life and Laughs Podcast. Welcome back to Life and Laughs Podcast. Mindy Miller, special guest today on the show. Love the interview, but now it is time for Elvis Trivia. 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 You are playing for Jason Uberich in Albany, New York. Okay, Jason, let's All right. do this. Here is your question number one. Elvis's last performance, his last public performance, was in June of 1977 in Indianapolis, Indiana. What was his final song at the concert that he sang? And I'll give you a hint. It's the same song that he would close out all of his concerts. Oh, God. Well, I always know he said, you know, until we meet again, adios. But here's the problem. Remember when I told you that I was ushered to the yes, car? Yes, you're already in the car. <laughs> I'm in the car. I don't know what the last song was. I never heard it. I was never there. I wasn't there. Now, isn't that a pisser? <laughs> that is the truth. I'm yeah. in the limo at the second to the last song waiting for him. I have no idea. I have no idea. You would, you would have to ask me that, wouldn't you? <laughs> I was afraid of that. Okay. Don't feel All bad right, because I'm telling you, of everyone that I've done the trivia with that's in the Elvis world, they miss over half of them. But you know what's funny about it is that we knew him in such a different way than the fans do. So we just yes. don't know all this, this little stuff about. We just don't. Right. The things that fans would focus in on are not the things of everyday life. No. Uh -uh. <laughs> well, you know, I was always in the car, as I had said before, but <laughs> I think it may have been can't help falling in love because he would leave that for his fans. You know, I love you all and I'm leaving you with this song. Yes, correct. You got it right. Yay! Good job. Yes. Yay! <laughs> I, I are so smart. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> okay, here is 
your second trivia question. Okay. Elvis only performed out of the United States three times, and all three times were in the same place. Do you know where it was? Well, and I I'll think give... it was in Canada. Yes. Yeah, I didn't even have to give you a clue, but you are correct. Yeah. All places in Canada in 1957, it was Ottawa, Toronto, yeah. and, and Vancouver. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yes. You're Which two is, for two. Okay. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> he okay. Has, he has a, a big. He has a big fan base in Canada too. He really does, and that's one thing I wish he would have been able to travel the world to perform. Oh, you, know, you and he, me both. You okay. And me both. Number three, Elvis is said to be distantly related to two former presidents. Do you know who they are? And I can give you multiple choice if you don't. I think <laughs> I think one I think one was Hamilton. Or uh, that's one of them, Lincoln, Abraham and Lincoln. And then uh, the other one, I think, let me think now, I think it was, oh, God, it's like on the tip of my tongue. Um, It wasn't Hardy. It was, oh. I, I, I can give you multiple choice or I can give you a clue. Which one would you like? Multiple choice. Okay. Is it Bill Clinton or is it Ronald Reagan or Jimmy Carter? Jimmy Carter. Yes. Yes. Yep. <laughs> yep. And I never knew that. I never knew yeah. that. I have oh, no yeah. idea how I did not know that. Yeah. In fact, I remember Jimmy Carter when he was president talking about that his long, long distance uh, relative was Elvis Presley. I never knew that. Yeah. I knew that he knew Jimmy Carter and would yeah. call Jimmy Carter. I didn't know that. That's crazy. The only one I'd heard of before was Oprah Winfrey. Having some kind of distant relationship. <laughs> I don't know well, if that's, that's true. That's what she says, but who knows? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Okay. We'll move on to number four. We probably should just let that one go. <laughs> okay. <laughs> number four on our <laughs> list here. Elvis recorded over 600 songs. How many did he write? And I can give you multiple um, choice on that if you if yeah. If you well, want. here's the thing: he actually did help write one song. Um, he was not a writer per se. He did not read music, and he was actually a much better piano player than he was a guitarist. Yeah. Um, but there was one song I don't remember that he collaborated on and changed the lyrics to, uh, mm. or he worked on the lyrics to it. And I don't remember the song. Most people will say that he never wrote a song or co-wrote a song. Since you knew the answer we were looking for and elaborated, we're going to give you credit. Of course, you got that question right. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> you are four for four. You're awesome at this trivia. We're trying. <laughs> All right. Now, in order for Jason Uberich in Albany, New York, to win a brand new Life and Laughs podcast T-shirt, you just have to get one more question right. Okay. <laughs> Here we go. Raceland was open to the public in what year? I think it was 1982. Yes, you are correct. Five for five. Congratulations <laughs> to you and to Jason Uberich in Albany, New York. <laughs> Yay, Jason. Jason, you rock. And you're going to rock in that T-shirt, too. 
<laughs> so awesome. I can't thank you enough for being on the show today. Loved your stories and I definitely want to have you back, like I said, maybe again in January so we can hear some more of your stories. Oh, good. Well, I hope I was able to bring something new to the table that some of your listeners haven't heard before. I hope they enjoyed a little bit of it today. Thank you for letting us get to know you. I feel like we know you a little bit better and Elvis and just so thankful for you being here today. Well, it's my pleasure and God bless you and God bless all your followers and all your listeners. God bless you. Thank you, Mindy. All righty. Okay, bye-bye. Wow, what a great interview. Thanks so much to Mindy Miller for being on the show today. Hey, I also want to thank our MC, Mr. Rick Viper. Be sure to like, follow, and share the podcast. You can follow us on Instagram at life underscore and underscore laughs underscore podcast. <laughs> and, and on Facebook, that's facebook.com forward slash life and laughs podcast. And we have a YouTube channel. Be on the lookout for that. You'll be able to see these in video form coming up real soon. Hey, be sure to catch next week's episode with Elvis's stepbrother, Billy Stanley. We talk Elvis. We talk family. We talk hot rods. We get deep in there. It's so fun. <laughs> it's going to be a great show. Hey, you got to thank our sponsors, John Daly's EP Boulevard Pawn Shop. They have Everything that you could ever think of in the form of Elvis memorabilia. They have records, CDs. He's even had autographs from Elvis and his band members, friends and family, posters, movies, everything you could think of. John Daly will have it at EP Boulevard Pawn Shop. That's EPBLVDPawnshop.com. Also, a special thanks to Marlowe's, where all the King's friends go to eat. It's one mile from Graceland, Marlowe's Ribs and Restaurant. Hey, and as always, remember to live life. <laughs> <laughs> Love everybody. <laughs> and laugh always. <laughs> 